0: You're great to be worshiping here with you this morning. And man, we're continuing in a series here called Relentless Love. Relentless Love. We're looking at the greatness of our God and how He reaches down into our lives. Whatever's going on, whatever complications, whatever tough circumstances, He's reaching down in and He's calling us through that and to Him. And he uses circumstances of all sorts and manners in order to call us to him. He has this plan in hand that we make much of our God, that we worship him and bring glory to him. And in the midst, we can experience his relentless love, right? There is a message of God loving us and there is the messenger that brings that. And so, as we look through the book of Jonah, we're actually going to be walking through the book of Jonah. We started in chapter 1 last week, and we'll be diving into chapter 2 this week. And as we walk through it, we're looking for this uh, information. What is the message? And, and then also, how does God build his messenger and send him out? And today, very specifically, we're looking at uh, the repentance part of the messenger, There's no way we can be a messenger bringing the message of God's love without first experiencing repentance. We got to be ready to lay it all down. We got to be ready for God to do a work in us. May he get all the glory, all right? So today we're talking about repentance and what that looks like in preparing our hearts individually. So do me a favor, turn with me if you will to Jonah chapter 2. Jonah chapter 2, we're actually going to start in chapter 1 verse 17. So as we get going, just want to make sure we've got the lay of the land. Let's remember where we were last week, right? Jonah chapter 1. Jonah is a prophet. God is talking with Jonah, actually speaks with him, gives him words that are quotable, right? Gives him the quote, hey, I want you to get up. I want you to go to Nineveh. Jonah is in Israel. He's right on the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, so it's about 550 miles up and over in order to get to Nineveh. This is a capital city. It's actually the capital of the Assyrians. They are horrible people. They are vicious, they are violent. They really, they take very few prisoners and those they do, they handle abusively and harshly. And uh, Jonah knows that. He knows these are enemies, he knows these are rough people but it's more than just they're rough people. They're also, also deeply sinful. They're massively steeped into self and idolatries and horrible things that are against God. And Jonah really doesn't want to have anything to do with these guys. So as God calls him to go 550 miles to the east, Jonah decides, well, I'll go 2,500 miles to the west. He's like, let's go to Tarshish, and so he starts headed out through the waters, probably to a city that's in Spain, they believe, Tarshish, about 2,500 miles the opposite direction. I'm going to go five times further the other way to make it clear that I'm trying not to be where God wants me to be, right? And uh, in fact, it says he was trying to get out of the presence of the Lord, All Right? everybody say, that's a terrible plan. That doesn't work. And then he's like, I'm just going to try to get to maybe where God isn't at work. Let's get out of this area and see what happens. And uh, so he headed uh, west, headed out there. He jumps into a boat that's headed to Tarshish. God ends up hurling, remember that word? He hurls. We see that word three times over hurled this wind. And uh, brings this huge tempest, this massive storm. The waves rise up. The mariners are freaking out. That's an unusual moment. They're like, this is crazy. We can barely handle this. And as they fight through it in all different levels and it's rising up and getting worse and worse, they finally talk to Jonah. And Jonah's like, "Uh, just throw me overboard. That's what this is all about. And uh, I was talking to somebody this past week. Uh, This is a good observation. Notice that Jonah did not say, it's me, and then threw himself overboard. He's like, you're going to have to throw me. (laughs) I don't know why he was so lazy he couldn't even throw himself over the edge of the boat. But he's like, that's going to be your job. You got to throw me out of here, right? And uh, as he uh, ends up then being pitched out, as he hits the water and begins to sink, it all just dies down. Remember, everything is blowing all over the place. Waves are rising up, and it's this massive whoosh. And as he hits the water, it goes whoosh, And the boat is just sitting there silent. And the mariners are in awe. And it says they basically worshiped the Lord. They prayed to the Lord. They celebrated Him. They sacrificed to Him. And they made vows to him and they were saved as they realized who this God is. That's where we're picking it up today. Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 and so we're going after repentance and what that looks like. Uh, The first point, thank God for his hand of power and love in your life. Thank God for his hand of power and love in your life. True repentance is going to come from initially recognizing what God's doing. Just thanking him and starting there, all right? Chapter one, verse 17, it says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And the Lord appointed, like God has a plan. Everybody just say, God has a plan, The Lord appointed this. This isn't some accident. This isn't some fortuitous moment that was not planned in any way. No, God appointed it. The Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, right? Yahweh appointed this. He knows exactly what he's doing, the wind was his plan, the waves were his plan, the mariners in obedience was his plan, Jonah hitting the water was his plan, everything calming was his plan, and now this great fish is his plan, and the Lord appointed a great fish. Remember I told you you'd see that word great a lot throughout the book of Jonah. In fact, nine or ten times you see it used in various forms. And so we have this great city of Nineveh. We have a great wind that God threw out there in order to cause the storm. Now we have a great fish. And just to be really clear, the author as he writes this and uses the word great over and over is making one thing clear. We serve a great God. And all of God's people said, He's like, just make this clear, man, when God's at work, the word great is all over it. And, uh, and a great fish was appointed. And just so you know, that word fish is not actually the word fish in the original language. In the Hebrew, it's a word that actually means a giant sea creature or sea being. It's something that lives out in the sea that's massive in size and, and not defined. And so they use the word fish here because it's a large being that we could think of that lives out in the sea, right? But it's more of a generic term here, a general sea creature, a large sea mammal or fish. And uh, not clear exactly what it is. And uh, so they use the word fish here just to make sure we can understand in general that it is something that would live out in the deep waters, all right? And so this great fish, if we want to use that word, uh, was appointed to swallow up Jonah. So great in size was this fish that it didn't have to chew at all, just swallowed up. Came by, and as it came by, just swooped him into the mouth and, and swallowed. And that was it. A giant fish ending up swallowing up Jonah. You know, there's a lot of people that are like, at this point, I'm done with the story. I tap out. Like, I I don't know, man. I don't know if I can believe that this is the reality. and, And I'm just telling you, we have a great God. And all of God's people said, And he has a great plan. And man, this is a very simple, basic moment of an appointed fish and an appointed time coming by to swallow. There are examples of this that they've seen over the centuries of different uh, fish or mammals that have been able to take in the size of a man and have been able to live in there. And I'm not even going to go into the proof texting. I'm just saying this. This is God's word. And all of God's people said... And uh, So we take this as full-on truth here. It says, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish. In fact, that word belly just means deep inside. Not exactly sure where and how all of it, but deep inside. If you want to use belly to try to understand it, right? From the mouth, we easily connect to the belly, right? So that's where they went with that. But deep inside, it says, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and... Three nights, and uh, that's a long time, right? And uh, Just so we understand, Jonah has a certain view towards this fish, and we're going to see it roll out in chapter 2 now as we pick it up, but Jonah's there three days and three nights uh, without food, without general water, just being inside this fish. And uh, you know, Jonah chapter 1, verse 17, a little interesting note. In your, if you had a Hebrew Bible and it was written in Hebrew, it would actually be uh, labeled as Jonah chapter 2 verse 1. 117 is actually 2.1 in the Hebrew Bible and instead of only 10 verses in chapter 2, there's 11 in the Hebrew Bible. They shifted this verse forward. Why is that a big deal? Well, just so we're really clear, the numbering was not in the original manuscripts of the Bible, right? So when these uh, prophets or whoever wrote, they wrote in just paragraph form. And they ended up getting numbered way later. Like the English Bible got numbered in like the 1550s, kind of in that era. So like way after Bible written, the numbers were put in place. Why? Because they wanted to start bringing man into reading this in a broad sense. And they're like, hey, everybody turn to, (laughs) and then how do you say it? I don't know, third paragraph, halfway down, second sentence, count in three words, right? Like it got, it's arduous. So they're like, let's number this. So they made chapters and verses to be able to talk it through and to be able to get to something. That happened in about the 1500s, so just a handful of hundreds of years ago, right? And so the English Bible was numbered one way. The Hebrew Bible, actually, they numbered another way. The English Bible, they put chapter, or verse 17, at the end of chapter one, they're like, the fish... Well, that's this really big end of chapter 1. They're seeing the fish as a part of the final solution that God had for really, in a way, punishing and getting Jonah's attention. They're seeing the fish as connected to all the rest. The giant waves of the sea and Jonah being tossed in and, and the almost drowning and the fish. They see it all kind of as one. And it's sort of the end of the punishment cycle. But just so you know... Jonah actually doesn't see it that way. We're gonna see it in chapter two and the fish is actually seen as part of the salvation cycle. It's God actually doing something to pull him out. And so really when this fish sweeps in and swallows him, it's more a part of the chapter two cycle. And I'm probably more with the Hebrew Bible putting that verse very aligned with the solution. And in fact, we're gonna see in chapter two, the fish opens chapter two then and closes chapter two. And uh, just so you know, a little numbering moment right there, um, the difference between the Hebrew Bible and the English Bible. So start out in chapter 2, verse 1 now in your English Bibles, right? It says, Then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish, saying, so at this point, Jonah is in the fish. We see the word then there, it's a connecting word that was used in the original language. It just means after the information I just told you, here's some more. So Jonah's in the fish three days and three nights, and then he's praying. So towards the back end of his stay inside this fish, he now has this prayer to say. He says, I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Have you ever noticed how God uses circumstances to get our attention. Have you ever noticed how God uses the circumstances and the struggles and the distresses of life to say, hey, where you're at needs to change. It's time for you to see me in a whole different light. It's time for you to approach this in a whole different way. He's like, hang on. My distress began to wake me up to something. And so I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he, the Lord, answered me. God answered me as I cried out. Jonah's like, it was awesome. I I cried out to my God, and I received an answer. It says, out of the belly of Sheol, I cried. Now, that word Sheol really means like death. He's like, I was almost gone. Out of the belly of Sheol, I cried out. And now he ends up in the belly of the fish. And you can see the symmetry that the author's using, right? And he's like, I was almost gone. And uh, out of the belly of death or Sheol, I cried, and you heard my voice. And, uh, and isn't it amazing how it takes hitting rock bottom before we look up, right? And uh, so sad how often we need to see how bad it can get before we finally turn to our God. And Jonah had some disagreements with God, he didn't look up then. Jonah decided to run from God, he didn't look up then. Jonah decided to get on the boat, he didn't look up then. Jonah decided to sit in the midst of a storm, he didn't look up then. Jonah was thrown into the water and it got really bad, then he looked up, right? All too often we are led to rock bottom before we tend to be at the end of ourselves and and uh, I'll just say this as well, when Jonah was then in the water and God provided the fish, there was a phrase I wrote down this week, God provided uncomfortable safety upon repentance. And I think this is really true often, that in the midst of our repentance, God provides uncomfortable safety. He is making it safer. He is putting his arms around, but it's not just sweeping us out so that we're completely comfortable and everything's just done. It's not an immediate, oh, this is soft. Oh, this is great. No problems now. He tends to walk us slowly back out. Why? Well, probably most likely because if he walked us out quickly, we would quickly forget where we just came from and we'd make it all about ourselves again, right? Right? And so this uncomfortable safety, man, get ready for that, long for that in your life. Lord, I long for me to be able to recognize you in the middle of my distress and note the uncomfortable safety. God beginning to do a work as he's answering you and he's pulling you out and he's keeping you very aware of what needs to change. Praise be to God. And repentance as he does a work. So, you know, this past week, uh, last Sunday night actually was the Oscars. And uh, I usually only watch a handful of minutes of the Oscars, mostly because I can't take much more than that. I don't know. I don't know about you. I turn it on. I'm trying to watch a little bit of it. All of a sudden, there's some thing they're selling, there's some political bent and the whole night is wrapped on it and whichever it is for that year, whatever's going on. And so you have to kind of embrace that and walk through that uh, or just turn the TV off, right? And so I tend often towards that end, but we turn on the Oscars each year and try to walk through a little bit of it. And uh, I don't know if you noticed this year, but this was the year that everybody wore like these extremely long gowns with this ridiculously long trains. Did you notice that? Did anybody watch the Oscars or is it just me? You're like just staring at me. Did anybody in this room watch the Oscars? Just raise your hand if you did. All right, there's like nine of us. Good deal. So for you, nine. Right? That is hilarious, man. Uh, I actually thought this might connect with you a little bit. Not even close. Not even close. That's awesome. So uh, for those of you who didn't see... They wore these extremely long gowns with these ridiculously long trains. It looked foolish. In fact, even some of the guys wore these long gowns and trains and it was just wrong at many levels. And as I'm watching this thing go on, one thing you notice though, it's true of everything in the Askers, when somebody wins, they come up to the stage, right? Then they're all emotional, right? And they're all excited. And then the first thing they say is, thank you. I just want to say thanks to... Right? And then they start to run through a litany of names that's been a part of where they're at. And uh, man, I'm just telling you this even the godless world knows to say thank you. May we walk our walk in this world as believers following our God who knows how to say thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you for what you're doing in this. Lord, this circumstance is rough, but thank you. I see your hand in this. And Jonah, in the midst of the sea, in the midst of the drowning, in the midst of the struggling, he's crying out to the Lord and he's celebrating that God answered. How did God answer? He's in the belly of the fish. He's saying the fish is the answer. I ended up being swallowed up and saved. I would have drowned otherwise. Thank you, God, for your answer. Are you able to look at the tough circumstances, the uncomfortable safety, and say, "Thank you, God." Like I'm seeing you in this, Lord, and I'm celebrating you. And how are you doing at saying, "Thank you." Make sure that's some words on your lips regularly with your God. Thank you, Lord. It is actually the beginning of a heart of repentance, all right? Number two, accept your circumstances as God's purposeful hand at work. Accept your circumstances as God's purposeful hand at work. We start in verse three. He says, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. You cast me into the deep. Is that what happened? Like think back to the story in chapter one, who actually cast him into the deep? Go ahead and say it out loud. Who cast him into the deep? The sailors, the mariners, right? And he's like, you cast me. He's like, listen, I know exactly what's going on, God. You're in control of everything. You are sovereign. You brought the wind, you brought the waves, you brought the pressures. And while the hands of the sailors threw me, it was you making sure it happened. You threw me. God, I see your hand all over this, and he's like, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. You own the seas. I already got done testifying to that in chapter one, God. I made it clear to the sailors, you're the God of the sea and the land. You own these seas and these billows. They are yours, and you had me tossed into them. You... Have a plan. He's like, you cast me into the deep, into the heart. You brought the floods around me. Your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven from your sight. There was a moment as Jonah was beginning to go underwater and the waves passed over him and he was going down. He was like, this is it. The blessing hand of God is pulling away from me, I'm dying, I'm going under, it's over. Jonah's like, it was in that moment that I knew I was driven away from your sight, you were no longer blessing me, says, yet shall I again look upon your holy temple, he's like, God, you may have stopped blessing, but I know it's because I stopped doing and following and obeying I understand where I'm at and I understand I was walking away from you. And God, I know I really, I deserve to be right where you put me. So here's the bottom line. I'm turning it around right now. This is as he's going under, going deeper and deeper. He says, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. Now, some would say this is probably Jerusalem, He's like, hey man, you're gonna save me somehow and I'm gonna end up back in Jerusalem. I don't really think that's what this means though. I think he's like, I am going to look upon the holy temple which he calls out again in just a verse or two here and he's talking about the place where God resides. He's like, I am about ready to enter your presence. I'm going under. I am dying And when I die and when I've breathed my last and I am going up, I will be in your presence for all of eternity. I am going to worship you. And God, I want it right, right now. I'm not waiting till then. I'm getting it clean and clear right now. I was wrong. And I cannot wait to worship you. Lord, I am longing to be in your holy temple, the heavenly presence of where you reside. And I cannot wait to make much of you. The waters closed in over me to take my life. This is such a descriptive verse. Listen to this verse. The waters closed over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me and the weeds were wrapped around my head. Can you feel it? As they grab onto him and there's sailors grabbing onto all parts of him and they're swinging him back and forth, And then he gets chucked over the edge. And as he hits the water and these waves are slapping down on him. And he's grasping for breath and he can't get it. And all of a sudden he's dragged under. And now he's deeper in the water and he's feeling himself going down. And as he's going deeper and deeper he looks up and he sees the waves roll over him. As he's down underneath. And then he feels the seaweed begin to wrap around him. Can you just feel it and see it? I mean, imagine the panic at first as you're trying to, and the seaweed all around his head and his shoulders, and he's trying and fighting, and and he's recognizing it's done. And as he's going down, it says, at the roots of the mountains, he hits bottom, in the bottom of the sea, at the bottom of the mountains that are under the water, He says, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. He went down to the bottom and hit the ground. And as he looks up, he sees the waves close over and then calm down. And he knows it's done. At least he thinks it's done. He's down on the bottom of the sea. The waves have closed over him. And it says, and the bars had closed upon me forever. Uh, How long? He thought it was done, man. He thought it was overdone. It says, yet, by the way, when you see the word yet in Jonah, pay attention, right? Second time he used yet in here in the prayer. He says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, oh Lord, my God. And in that moment, as he hits bottom and everything calms and he sees it all closed down over him, as he's down there, cannot breathe, seaweed wrapped around, giant fish comes by and swallows him in. What's the first thought you'd have? Oh, great. Right? I mean, isn't that, your first thing is like, I'm dying in the sea. No, no, maybe, maybe not. Never mind. I'm just going to be eaten. Beautiful right? We are are expert whiners, man. And we're really good at recognizing how the next circumstance is just another painful circumstance. But the reality is God loves uncomfortable safety. Make sure you are ready and looking for uncomfortable safety on your way up and out in repentance. God's doing an amazing work. He says, you brought my life up from the pit Oh, Lord, my God. Remember, this is a prayer three days after being in the fish and a lot of perspective. And he's like, this is amazing, God, what you have done in my life, right? Okay. In 1629, that's a long time ago, right? 1629, the Taj Mahal began to be built, right? And we've heard that phrase before, we use it somewhat sarcastically, right, when somebody's building something like, what are you building, a Taj Mahal, right? We'd always refer to it as like some statement of this great and glorious building. And uh, it turns out it was actually the Shah who asked to build it, and he wanted to build it for his wife. His wife passed away, and he wanted to have something built in honor of her. And so he ended up designing and talking with and getting this Taj Mahal plan set. It was gonna take years to build. And so what they ended up doing is taking her remains and they they basically cut out this giant swatch of area, right? And in the middle of it, they set her remains there and then they began to build this massive Taj Mahal around it. And they went along building and it got like started to get into it really intensely. In fact, the Shah really, he was like, man, this is gonna be Unbelievable. He started getting attention to it. He started getting more people coming in just to see what he was doing. He started putting more and more in it. It got more ornate. He started getting more jewels in the thing. This thing started going massive. He got so into building the building and along the way, they kept building. They kept augmenting. They built out wider. They built up higher. They were doing all the cleaning out and moving to make it happen. And and then all of a sudden, somebody said, Where are your wife's remains? And they had been lost. In the middle of doing all the building, they had cleared it out in order to continue to build this awesome Taj Mahal. And the reality is he lost the complete focus and purpose on why he was there. And everything he was there for was lost. But he had this giant building built in his honor and his name. Man, I'm just telling you that is so much like you and me walking in this world. And we are placed here for God's glory. And we are to live with what God has given us and we are to execute it with all we've got. And it's to be all about his glory. And we place it in the middle and we go after it for a little bit and all of a sudden we start building our Taj Mahal. Have you seen what I've accomplished? Are you seeing who I am? Are you seeing the attention coming to me? And look what I'm getting. And by the way, here's a horrible word nowadays. Look at my legacy, right? And as we start talking about these things, all of a sudden we're talking about our Taj Mahals. And all of a sudden we've built something that is so about my own glory and I've lost the purpose. Man, do you know your purpose? You are here to glorify God. Let every circumstance drive you to that. Let every uncomfortable safety bring you back to that. We are here for the glory of God. And all of God's people said, here for the glory of God. May it be all about him. Man, embrace the circumstances that God has allowed to wash on your shore. And know this, God is waking you up and re-energizing you to the purpose statement of your life. He's bringing you back around. I just wrote this phrase down this week as I was thinking it through. God loves us enough to walk us on a journey to the end of ourself and to the start of him. God loves us enough to walk us on a journey to the end of ourself and the start of him. And that is the story of relentless love. God loves us enough to walk us on a journey to the end of ourself and to the start of him. May it be all about his glory, okay? May God be glorified. So simple question. And how are you doing as your floods surround you? How are you doing as the circumstances are overwhelming? How are you doing in thanking him first and even recognizing those circumstances as uncomfortable safety? How are you doing at getting it back to the glory of God? Right? All right, that's the second one. Number three. Confess him as Lord of your life. Confess him as Lord of your life. He says, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. You got to imagine this whole thing he just described in chapter two as he's remembering what it was like as he was dying, right? He went under, how long can you hold your breath for? Right? So you're looking at, this is a handfuls of minutes as he's going down. And now he's like, as I was fainting away he's like this was it I could tell I was like bursting I so needed oxygen I was underwater it's almost done I'm about ready to pass out and I remembered the Lord and he started to cry out Lord I'm I'm with you and I remember you my prayer came to you into your holy temple he's like I started to grasp what this was all about and I'm like God you get the glory And I remember you in your holy temple. Remember God's presence there and where he is in the heavens. He says, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. I'm not sure there could be a more powerful verse in all of Jonah. When he says, those who pay regard to vain idols. Man, when you make it all about you, you forsake the hope of steadfast love. Vain idols. These are those successes and accomplishments and potentially even pains and sorrows that you hold on to. Your vain idols. You may even have idols in your life that are all about the stuff you had to go through when you were a kid or, or when you were a young adult or whatever. You don't know what I had to go through. This is. And we start clinging to our own sorrows and they become our actual God. We revisit the pains over and over again and we long for them to somehow better identify us or even save us out of the sorrow we're in. And maybe you're in that spot where you're clinging to some deep pain and using that as your idol. And please let go of that. And grab onto the God of the universe. The one who brings steadfast love. In fact, that word steadfast love in the Hebrew is the word hesed. And uh, it's not good enough to just say love. Right? Because we talk about love. And well, love could come and go. You could, right, human wise, we bring it in. we Maybe then we falter on it in. But this is steadfast love. Hesed. This is the love of God Almighty. He brings it in and it never relents. It never changes. It is absolutely steadfast. It is his chesed, his steadfast love. And he's like, Man, I'm telling you, you taste of that steadfast love when you set the idols down. No more me. No more, look at my Taj Mahal. No more, come on, give me glory. No more have you seen my sorrows and pains. I cling to them with all I've got. Now it's God I'm handing this all to you. You're in charge. And it is amazing as we set those idols down and we let God take over and we confess him as Lord. It says, but I with the voice of thanksgiving, remember we just looked in point number one, make sure you're thanking him. True repentance will always start with thanksgiving. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. you got to remember, this is Jonah now in the fish praying this out. And he's like, here's the deal, God. I'm willing to give all of it to you. And he's in a fish. You would have to presume a part of his thought is like, for whatever minutes I have left, because this thing just devoured me. And and I praise God that I am where I am. Right? This moment of salvation that he experienced. He was going down to the bottom. He's wrapped in seaweed. He can barely like feel his chest is going to burst. He needs oxygen and all of a sudden and he gets sucked inside and the waters pulled away from him and wherever he's at in this sea creature, all of a sudden there's a little bit of oxygen in there and he's like And he could breathe. And he is now in uncomfortable safety as he begins to process what God is doing. And his statement is, Lord, I give you the rest of my life, whatever minutes remain. And if I'm going to be devoured right now, then so be it. But you get my worship. I'm setting it aside for you, God. You get it all. May God get all the glory. And then he says, salvation belongs to the Lord, exclamation point. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Everybody say it out loud with me. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Say it louder, say it bigger. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Man, that is our hope. And as he cried that out, celebrating in the fish that he had at least another breath to breathe so he could bring his worship to God, And that's all he's planning on. God, you get my worship. That's all I'm giving you. Right now, it's all that's left until this is done. He cried out, salvation belongs to the Lord. Verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish. Everybody say God has a plan. And the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Why did they use the word vomit? (laughs) And I'm just gonna tell you, actually, it's, a word that means to throw out, but it's put into a form that means violently. So they chose that word. It was thrown out violently and onto the sea. And can you imagine as Jonah rolls over onto the land and looks up at the sky and he's feeling the sand and the water is slowly lapping on him. And the fish or whatever it is, is moving away from him and he's breathing air and he's safe. What's the next moment of what you do? Really think it through. I mean, I got to believe there's a point where there's like laughter and then there's tears and then there is a massive cry of worship. Right there on that beach. Man, have you ever been in that moment where all of it closed in over you? It pushes you down. It looks like it's done. You find yourself at the bottom in deep distress and it's time to call out. And as you're calling out to your God, a bit of the circumstance changes and you are in a very uncomfortable moment, but it's a little safer. Uncomfortable safety is God's beginning to give you a chance to get things square and right. And you repent in that moment and you hand it to him with all you've got. And you're like, God, I don't care if I get one more breath. It's all for you. And all of a sudden he raises you up and out. And he brings you back to a spot where he's gonna be working with you. Man, we serve a God of relentless love. And all of God's people said, Mercy is his, and we can worship him for it. It says, and the Lord spoke to the fish and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. I love this. This is like Groundhog Day. We're right back where we started. You're on the land, you're in Israel, and you've been asked to do something. Now how's your worship, right? And now we're on day two. And that's where we're gonna be picking it up next week. We serve a God of relentless love and compassion. And all of God's people said, Amen. Let's pray.